0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Bible talk show where we talk about different topics and subjects every Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. And I'm Drew DeGrotto, your host, and I'm glad everyone uh, is joining us today. If you're coming in on the Zoom app, be sure to use the uh, Q&A box or the chat window to enter in any uh, text that you'd like to uh, make comments or question, or have questions about. And you can do the same thing on the Facebook page that we're now broadcasting also on the uh, Jeff, no, Scott, Scott's Facebook page. I think Jonathan will correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, Let me bring in the panelists. Uh, Scott Smeltzer is with us, our program director. How are you doing, Scott? Doing well, Drew. How are you today? Doing good. Did I stop the sharing yet? Let me stop the sharing. Here we go. And... all kinds of noise coming in over here on my side. I apologize for that. Jeff, how are you doing today? Good to see you. Doing great. Hi, guys. And Jonathan, as I mentioned before, is with us. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. It's good to see you all today. Okay, great. So so we, we've been, in the last couple of uh, broadcasts, we've been looking at the book that Paul had wrote to the church at Colossae. Colossae, mm-hmm. is that how you say it? Colossians. And so, uh, Scott, why don't you pick up what we're, we're going to be talking about today?
1: All right, so we're in the practical section of the book, the application section section of the book, our responsibility end of it, as often as the epistles we've noticed. Paul will talk conceptually about helping us see what God has done for us in the first part of the book, and in the last part of the book, say, here's your responsibilities. And so here we get to some domestic things. Uh, It's going to talk about wives, husbands, children, servants, and such. And this is really important. And I I just want to throw something out there first uh, to help illustrate how important this is. How do we behave ourselves with perfect strangers? You meet somebody at the grocery store. uh, You're going to, you know, you speak to the cashier. And if there's any trouble with something, uh, do we get impatient with them, or do we manage to be polite? And no, courteous? we usually try to be on good behavior in public. We try to, to treat people uh, professionally, courteously, be nice, make a good impression, um, go out of our way to be to get along. With total strangers, and that's good. Uh, do we remember say things like, please and thank you? Yeah, usually? you walk yeah. into a Wawa. People all over the country don't know what Wawa is, but... Wawa's great. You walk into a Wawa and somebody's coming right behind you. You stop and you open the door for them and, and, uh, you know, try to be courteous.
2: Yeah.
1: And then we get home. Do we always manage to be as courteous and polite and as thoughtful at home? Huh? No. (laughs) No. I'm afraid I don't. And so this is a good section for us to... Just, just like that, in, in, in our dealings with other people, it's uh, somebody asks you a question, you say, oh, what did you say? Uh, at home, you get asked a question, you go, huh? <laughs> you <know? laughs> we, we, we take people for granted that we're closest to, we don't go out of our way to extend the courtesies that we do sometimes otherwise. And not that we should do that, but that's human nature, it's a tendency that we have to overcome. It, yeah, and, 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 and we should overcome it. And I think what you said has a lot to do with. We, we tend to take certain things for granted. Uh, if, if a total stranger showed up and, you know, uh, vacuumed the house and fixed your supper and, and watched the clothes, we'd be like, wow, thank you so much. <laughs> so I'd be saying, Scott, you can't believe what happened to me today. You can't believe what somebody did. Yeah, I'd like to do something nice for them. Yeah, right. And, and our, our wife does that. And we're like, Where, where's my dark socks? Right. <laughs> right. So shame on us. And let's look at this text and challenge ourselves to do better. Verse 18. Somebody read verse 18. Then somebody read verse 19. And then somebody read 20. And then one of us read 21. And we'll start talking about those. Wives, be in subjection to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord.
2: Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children,
1: obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord.
2: Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged.
1: So let's start with verse 18. Wives, be... And of course, let's point out this. We're making a mistake... If husbands look at, which is your favorite verse here? And the husbands say, that one about wives being a subjection and children obeying. <laughs> if the wives, What's your favorite verse here? Oh, the one about husbands love your wives. So don't be bitter. Uh Kids, what's your favorite verse? The one about fathers don't discourage your children. Because all of that. We're focused on what? Somebody else, what they need to do to me, how they need to treat me. Yeah, yeah. And in Matthew chapter 7, it points to our tendency to look
2: at the faults of others by
1: describing what Matthew chapter seven.
2: Well, he First, describes, you see somebody that has a speck in their eye, but you've got a log coming out of your eye and you're really quick to point out, you need to get the speck out whenever you're not getting the log out of your own eye.
1: Yes. Yes. We have a tendency to see others faults more easily than our own. This is why Nathan's parable to David worked. Mm-hmm. You know, David is acting really, really badly. So Nathan puts it somewhere else. Yep. There was a man with a bunch of sheep and one guy stole his one little lamb and
2: immediately put his David sheep because it's somebody else. That's unjust. He needs to repay tenfold. I don't remember the exact measurement, but. It uh, say,
1: says he needs to die. Yeah. 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 And maybe there was repay also. All right. Verse 18. Wives, be in subjection to your husbands as is fitting. In the Lord, Uh, so let's have an imaginary conversation here with uh, a wife, and um, I'll I'll be—I'll represent the habit that a wife can get into. Ask me; I'll be portraying a wife here. I'll I'll try not to use a high voice, but I'll say, "All right, one of you asked me if I should be in subjection to my husband." Not—not any wives that we know. Just no, no hypothetical hypothetical wife. Hypothetical wives with a goatee here. Okay. Oh, no, that's, that's bad.
2: Okay. Uh,
1: so I'm supposed to ask you a question, right? Hey, what time supper tonight?
2: <laughs>
1: if I'm in subjection to my husband. I'm sorry, what? Oh, I'm supposed to ask you if you're in subjection to your husband? Yes. And I will answer, uh, usually. <laughs> okay. Are you, are you in subjection to your husband? Yeah, yeah, usually. Um, When do you suppose I'm not? (laughs) When you don't want to be? Right, right. (laughs) It's like, you know, when he says, hey, uh, I'm going to pick up pizza tonight so you don't have to do supper. Am I in subjection? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Look at me following my husband. You know, that... I like to illustrate this with thinking about traffic. You're going down the road, and have you ever noticed there's either a car in front of you or behind you that keeps making the same turns you do? Mm -hmm. There's a right turn, there's a left turn, there's another right turn, right turn. And you start to wonder, that person following me? Yeah. (laughs) It happens to me all the time. No, but okay. (laughs) And, And then you come to a fork in the road, and you go one way, and that car went... Turn the other way, and then you realize, no, they weren't following me. We were just coincidentally traveling the same way for a while. They went the way I went as long as the way I went was the way they happened to want to go anyway. Right, right. So if the wife says, "Well, yeah," when he does what I asked him to do, when he does what I told him was a good idea, when he does what I like, when he does when I don't care, that's yeah, I like that anyway. Uh, I have a subjection problem when he wants to go a different way than I wanted to go. And that's where I'm not in subjection. So so, so are you, are you suggesting that wives, if they have a different idea than the husband has, that they shouldn't say anything about it? No, nope. Cause there's, there's a lot of room for discussion in marriage. Um, in fact, I'll give an analogy to this. You remember Ross Perot? Yes. Right. The president. Yeah. So if you remember when he had a debate with Al Gore and he kind of lost it and I thought I misjudged him and I thought, you know, I think he's being the head of a big, you know, corporate empire. I think he's used to everybody just saying yes to him and he couldn't handle when somebody disagreed with him. And that wasn't it at all. I actually read an article, Al Gore, had, his team had done some research and they had found out something that was going to annoy Perot uh-huh. that the audience wouldn't notice. And they did uh-huh. that early in the debate. Uh-huh. And somebody that knew about Ross Perot's business practices said this about it. He welcomed criticism. He welcomed you know, other ideas. And when he would say, what are your thoughts? He wanted those people under his leadership to present their case for why it ought to be this or it ought to be that and offer, you know, challenges and such. And he listened to that input. So a good leader isn't somebody who just surrounds himself with people who tell him what he wants to hear. Ahab in the Old Testament was a king like that. He had a bunch of prophets that were false prophets, and they would just tell him whatever he wanted to hear. And that's all he wanted. He didn't want to hear from the prophet of God because the prophet of God never told him what he wanted to hear. Right. Right. So then Ross Perot would hear all this and he'd take it into consideration and maybe go this way or that way. But then once he had all the information and he made a decision, that was it. There was, there was one fellow that was a CEO and that was Ross Perot. He wanted, you know, those people, he valued their input, their, their ideas, their points of view, but you can't be the CEO and go five different ways after the meeting. And so a wise husband is going to listen to what his kids needs and his wife needs. And we'll get to those types of things in a minute. But submission means the the test of submission is when we have to do it, even though it's not what we wanted to do. John. Uh, there's a comment that
2: comes in and uh, I do want to remind everyone to uh Not sure exactly where this was coming in. The Facebook uh, stream is about 15 to 20 seconds behind um, what we're doing live. Um, But Mary Beth commented on Facebook and said, uh, or that wives don't trust the husband's decision making or wisdom um, in situations where maybe the husband would make a wrong decision, which is very possible. Um, What's what's the response for the wife in that?
1: Oh, very good. Uh, Jeff you were about to say something I'll see if it ties I was going a different direction go ahead All right. so um, do we as husbands sometimes make a decision that ends up not being the wisest certainly yeah so what should the wife do well it's a in part it's a matter of whether this is a matter of right and wrong exactly there are things that in any situation, whether you're uh, um, the second baseman on a baseball team or whether you're an employee in uh, a corporation or what, where the leader makes a decision, and it's it's not the decision you think is best. It's against your judgment. But for this entity to work as a team, you have to go with that decision. Right. When you're if, – if you're the – say you're a batter on a baseball team and the coach tells you to, to bunt – well, you may be thinking, no, no, I, I don't, I don't want to bunt, but and you're thinking, no, that's not the best thing here. No, you know, for this team to work, that manager, the manager has to know he has, uh, he has your loyalty, and he's going to make the decisions, and everybody's going to work as a team um, and play accordingly. You know, if, if he says, I want, to, I want the infield to come in, and everybody comes in except one infielder, well, you've compromised your defense there. Yeah. But now if he says to the pitcher, You gotta take this guy out of the game. I want you to put a fastball right into his knee and break his leg, you say. No, I am a Christian. That is contrary to what my God expects of me, and my God is superior to my manager. Right. And what biblical text illustrates? You're 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 cut out right there, Scott. But I I, so so there's there's the general text, not specifically applicable to marriage. Well, it is applicable to marriage, but it's not specific or unique to marriage. And where Peter says we must obey God rather than men, in Acts chapter, Mm -hmm. I'm saying five twenty nine. As I'm turning there, I'm trying to think. Is that it? Yes, Acts chapter five, verse twenty nine. So, if the husband or the father tells the kids or his wife to do that which is immoral and is wrong, it's time to say. I have to obey God, not you. Uh, Like if the government says, you have to do this, say you have to obey God, not you. But other times it's just not what we wanted. And I think one of the most powerful images of this is uh, Jesus in the garden as he's about to have to go through the torture and the abuse and the insults and the spiritual pain of what's going to happen the next day And you can't be looking forward to that on a personal level. And in great agony, he prays, but then he says, he ends his prayer with what words? Not Not my will, but thy will be done. Yeah, that's that's submission. And we all have to be submissive in, in various roles. And the test of submission is when we're willing to do what's right even though it's not what we prefer. Mm-hmm. What are the thoughts on that before we move
0: forward? Uh, you were talking about that, you know, when, obey man rather than God. When I was in the service, we were taught the chain of command and the orders that you must take unless it violates law.
1: Okay, very good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because there's something above the, these people here. Excellent. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Anything else on wives before we move forward? All right. 19. What is it that the husband is told to do? Love the wives. Yeah. Love your wives and don't be bitter against them. Uh, it's interesting. The wife is told, be in subjection to your husband. Husband, love your wife. There are husbands are to honor their wives, 1 Peter 3, were all to be in subjection to each other. Ephesians 5, 21, and 1 Peter 5. Uh, wives are to love their husbands and love their children. But it's interesting that the emphasis here on wife, first off, you show that respect and be in submission. Husband, you love. Why are those two, besides the fact that it's scripture and we need to do it. How does that relate just to the way that men and women are made? And why does it make sense to emphasize these points?
0: Well, before you get there, though, isn't that love, that agape love, where you're putting the interest of the other person above yourself?
1: Yes, it is. Although, let me say this about uh, agape. Um, that That is what this love is. That's right. Agape doesn't automatically always mean that. Like when it talks about the Pharisees being lovers of money uh it's agape wow. uh, and uh some other passages where it's not a particularly good thing it's it's agape, so it's 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 a broad word for love, but within this context, yeah, it's you put the other person first, so for instance, in the parallel passage in Ephesians, it says- it gives an illustration how to love husbands love your wives as
0: Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. Yeah. When so you we're, 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 is that a physical requirement then also then Scott, that we're physically responsible to give our life for her if need be? Is that, is that
1: oh, I think we should, yeah. but I think it goes way, way, way beyond that. Um, because we need to sacrifice ourselves for our wives in all sorts of ways. And if the day ever comes, we need to sacrifice our physical life to save her. Well, yeah, step up and do that. But I'm afraid it's easier for a man to say, oh yeah, if that ever happened, then I would sacrifice for, her. but that's kind of meaningless and empty if on a more daily basis, we're failing to sacrifice ourselves in other ways for our lives.
0: Yeah. But isn't it interesting that, he is teaching that or commanding that is that, would you say that that's something that doesn't come naturally for a man?
1: Selfishness is what comes naturally for us. Jeff? Yeah. Well, I was thinking what comes naturally. This is going to maybe come out wrong, but the last part of verse 19, be not bitter against them. I guess I don't want to say it comes naturally, but it's certainly a tendency. Um, you know, when you're young a man sees this beautiful woman and he's smitten and he falls for her um, and then uh, if he's a little self-centered or if he's not giving himself up for her but he's got his focus on what he wants and life doesn't go just the way he had in mind and she doesn't do things just the way he wanted um, maybe uh, he envisioned uh, an intimate relationship that isn't just what he, doesn't turn out just the way he expected or whatever. And he starts feeling like she's not meeting my needs and he can turn bitter against her. I think it's no, it's no, uh, it's not just an off thing that the, the Lord, Paul, and the Lord through the Apostle Paul warns husbands not to be bitter against your wives. In marriage, go ahead, Drew.
0: Uh, during that time when this was written, wouldn't you say that it was more um, well, different than in our culture today, that men back then did look at women as property and ha- didn't have that same affection for them that maybe we might see in our day? Or am I just not, well, am I off base on that?
1: There were uh, people that viewed women that way then, and some that do today. But there were other people that would have had a great deal of affection for their wives. Uh, There was, there was an, and I think this is from a previous time period, Jeff, you may know the source of this quote, but I'll just throw it out there to illustrate some of what their culture did. Greek uh, culture, one of the Greeks said this, we have wives for the purpose of bearing legitimate children. We have mistresses for daily use. And we have the heretai, the word for the high dollar prostitute for pleasure. Uh, That's from why, I mean, from Demosthenes, I started saying this from wives, Demosthenes, if I remember correctly. Um, And he was, uh, we're going back about 300 years before the New Testament, Uh, actually, probably 350 years before the New Testament. Okay. Uh, So that's, that's some of the mentality, you know, that that some people had in ancient times. Uh, but whatever the mentality is, we're called to rise above these type of things. And and coming back to what Jeff said and what we introduced with, that it's easy for us to be polite to people in in the grocery store line. The people in the grocery store line didn't hurt our feelings. The people in the grocery store line weren't expecting that much from them. But within our own homes and families, we can get our feelings hurt. We can get we can you know hold grudges we can remember things we can and those things can build up and then we're polite at the grocery store to a stranger but then we can both husbands and wives can have this bitterness uh, come out at home and that's wrong we we've got to we've got to fight against that and and when when it happens what do we have to do repent yeah apologize Repent, pray about it, and make steps to do better. Um, all right. Uh, anything else there on verse 19? You've got my mind running. I came across that quote just reading in Demosthenes, something, something else, sometime in the last few months, and... Um, so now that's where my mind is gone. You've got me trying to think, which volume was that? It's up there on my shelves, one of those volumes.
2: <laughs> so
1: I have to get back in, in track here. Yeah. Uh, and and I'll, I'll say this. Uh, somebody wrote a book, I don't remember who it was, Love and Respect. And it talked about that women, love is more important. In, well, let me put it the way, uh, an easier way. If you ask a room full of men and women, this question, if you had to choose married men and women, if you had to choose between love or respect, which would you choose? Now, everybody would like to receive both love and respect, of course. But if you say, if you had to give up one to have the other, which would you choose? And and thinking not just in terms of your marriage relationship, but just thinking in terms of a personal relationship with somebody. Yeah. Like you know? for, if you choose respect, um your parents respect you your siblings respect you your boss respects you your coworkers respect you your neighbors respect you so w- women are going to tend to choose i think love and men are are going to tend to choose respect mm-hmm. My dad love you your siblings love you your coworkers neighbors everybody loves you i just went unstable okay. uh, no but no you're fine you're right how many how many guys at work are more concerned that everybody loves them than
0: they are that everybody respects them. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know of any. And,
1: and so if you ask that question, married, sometimes you'll find an exception. Not everybody fits this, but typically women would pick love, right? They'd want to be respected, but the thought of not being loved is just untenable. And, and this, we are speaking in general, you're going to find exceptions that, that sure. But but we often act in such a way that that's, that's what we communicate. That's what I want most is I want to be respected if I'm a man in the workplace. Yeah. And a man wants his wife to love him, wants his kids to love him. But if he's got to choose between the two, most men pick respect. Even if nobody loves me, at, at least I'm respected. People recognize I'm doing what I need to do and that's respected and they can count on me and it's respected. So with that kind of psychological mindset, do we see how important it is that Paul tells wives in this verse, elsewhere they're told to love their husbands, but in this verse and in Ephesians, he says to wives, do what?
0: So, 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 uh, be subject to respect your husband.
1: Yeah, that shows respect, which is his fundamental need. And the husband is told
0: to love what
1: wife. Yeah and so that meets her fundamental need. It's not that there's not other things too, but when we're not respect when we're not when wives are not respecting their husbands and when husbands are not showing love to their wives, it deteriorates the relationship both ways. And of course then if she doesn't feel loved, does she feel very respectful? No. no. And when he's feeling disrespectful, does he feel very loving?
0: no
1: yeah and so you get this really damaging spiral down
0: oh, so where, where's that verse that uh then you mentioned there was a verse there that yeah, if she doesn't suspect your husband you got to make her sus- uh, be subject to you
1: yeah it's not a... <laughs> no
0: it's up to her to fulfill the command it's not up to us to you have to be subject to me no it doesn't work that way
1: yeah and and this takes work and it takes maintenance. You know, do our cars take maintenance? Yeah. Do our houses take maintenance? Yeah.
0: Everything in this world.
1: So uh, Bertina and I were reading a book right now. I heard it on the radio, and it's a pretty good book. It's the name of the book is I heard it on the radio. No, no, no. I heard I heard an interview with the author on the radio, and so we ordered the book. And the name of the book is uh, "Fight Less, Love More." And it's a good book, and it describes the type of traps that we can get into. You know, think about some of the stupid arguments, you know, that we can get into in our homes, either with our kids or our husband or our wife or our parents, where out of selfishness and irritation, you know, we're we're arguing really immaturely about stupid things to the detriment of. Uh, and then we can go out and be nice to strangers, but we're having friction at home and we need to maintain that and get back to these big biblical, biblical principles. Any other thoughts before we go to verse 20? All right. What are children to do?
0: Well, the word obedience is there.
1: Yeah. And in Ephesians, it adds another verb. What's the extra verb in Ephesians?
0: I don't it's know. To honor.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, honor and obey in Ephesians. Here it emphasizes obey. And it's worth remembering both of those because can a teenager obey his mom but not honor her?
2: Yes, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what did you say, Scott?
1: What does that look like? Mom says, you need to do your homework. You need to take out the trash. You need to clean up your room. And the kid says,
2: uh, oh. Uh, I don't know exactly what they would say, but I can think of some actions that would be pretty dishonoring, but uh, still, I mean, you can, you can go and clean out the dishwasher and take the trash out and clean your room up and be smashing things around and slamming doors and <laughs> and just being angry all the time. And that's, that defeats kind of the purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I obeyed.
1: Well, yeah.
2: Externally,
1: but in a mm-hmm. difficult way So honor and obey. But sometimes my parents get on my nerves. Is anybody the perfect parent? No. Is any teenager the perfect
0: kid? No. When I was a teenager, (laughs) I thought that. What's that? When I was a teenager, I thought that, and I thought I knew everything. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And are any of us husbands the perfect husband? No. Are wives the perfect wives? No. And so the more we'll focus on what we ought to do, the more the kids focus on, this is what I need to do. I need to be honorable, uh, honor and obey for the wife. I need to be kind and, and, and respectful and in submission. I need to be loving and not better. The more we focus on our part, then just like this other thing tears things down, the more each person in the family focus on their parts, you get a different type of momentum. It's building on each other. Well, you can you can see people, we, families, there are problems in a lot of families. But just if you just start thinking about it from these basic building blocks, you have a, a husband and a wife and children. And if the wife is not submissive to her husband, she doesn't want to follow his lead. She wants to do what she wants. And yet she expects him to love her. And he's growing bitter toward her. And he's not loving her but he doesn't feel like he's getting the respect he deserves or whatever. And he's, so he's getting bitter. Well, they're probably both going to be lashing out at the children and children aren't going to respect them. And the children are not going to obey their parents, which is going to increase the animosity or the tension in the house. Parents toward the children. Now what you can see, this can work like a well-oiled machine, but it works like a well-oiled machine. If everybody is doing as they're supposed to be doing, but mm-hmm. when they're not, this is gonna it's gonna be a mess.
0: Yeah, you're you're leading into that next verse, but but I wanted to before you get there, Scott and Jeff, look at the motivation in verse twenty as to why the children ought to do that. Because it's well pleasing to the Lord. Yeah. So so if I we put our loyalty, and that's true of us whether we're children or adults, whatever, if we put our loyalty to the Lord, that's why we do things then the rest should become easy at least make it become easier
2: yeah i think it's particularly important that um children learn this and understand this which it's hard for a child to understand this but the older that you get the more you realize how important it is when you're young to learn to obey your parents um because there will never be a situation in anyone's life regardless of where you are in life where you're exempt from obedience to someone Right um, And so the perfect time to learn to obey someone is a child-parent relationship, which I think is yeah. how God is how God designed you know life to work. You, you grow up needing to obey your parents because whether you become the CEO of your company and, and you're the head of your family, you still have to obey God. <laughs> and yeah. so you, you can never be in a position where you don't need to obey someone. And if a child refuses to obey their parents, where I mean, you you see people all the time in work or in jobs and things like that that just clearly haven't learned what it means to obey and submit to someone in authority. Right. And and that's just so destructive in life in general and in your relationship with God also. Right. Right. And we have to get rid of this
1: attitude of I'll do my part when they start doing their part.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: uh,
1: and and we can, you know, the, the teenager can look at his parents and say, well, that's dumb. And I don't see why they're like that. And that doesn't make sense. And look, they, they did this themselves. And the husband can look at the wife and the wife can look at the husband. And it leads them to not doing their responsibilities. But in Romans 13, we're told to be in subjection to the authorities. And Paul wrote that to people living in what city? Rome and Rome. Who was Caesar at the time Paul wrote Romans? Nero. Yes. But even when you have a bad ruler, that's better than anarchy.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm. No no
1: two parents are the perfect parents, but parents, mediocre parents are much better for children than no parents at all. So instead of focusing on, and penalizing other people in the family because they weren't perfect, duh. We need to be more focused on where we've failed to be perfect as we have and, and try to improve our own performance. All right. And anything further before we go on? There's several more verses here. Somebody take off through there. Starting in verse 22. 21 mm-hmm. 21 fathers provoke not your children that they may not uh, that they be not discouraged you want to pause there or go on uh yeah let's 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 do talk about that for a second who who's got a comment on that you know i think a lot of people um can relate to this i've run into a lot of people who grew up and they just felt like and it's the, it's even a common theme in theater and television and books and so on Somebody who felt like uh, growing up, he could never please his father. He could never make his father proud. He was just always being criticized. Yeah. And that can come from different places, I suppose. It can come from a father who is just bitter. He's bitter against his wife. He's bitter about his job. He's upset with his employer. And he's got this kid, and the kid doesn't do what he wants, and so he lashes out at the kid. It can come from a father who is trying to, in his kid, See the success he never had, and so he becomes and yeah. demanding, "I want my kid to impress everybody, and then everybody can see, "Ah, that's my kid and so yeah. he kind of gets the glory so it can come from various things, but the point is that all of us need uh not only do we need to be disciplined, not only do we need to be corrected when we do something wrong, but we need to gain approval when we do something right You, you yeah. need the the carrot with the stick yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does he compliment the Thessalonians? Yes. Paul is amazing in his letters. First he, Corinthians, he's going to write this letter in which, I mean, we think of the letter to the church at Corinth and all the things that they were doing wrong, all the things that he has to rebuke them for. He just comes right out and he says, in this I praise you not. But he started that letter saying, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, and so on. And to the Galatians, as much as he has to rip into the Galatians, then he pauses. He says, I'd like to change my tone. He says, I remember, you know, how much you were willing to do for me back in the beginning, you know, how much you cared and and your kindness back in the beginning. It's, Mm -hmm. there's uh, some people, some fathers, some people grow up in a home where they they get one of two things from their father, criticism or, no attention at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one thing that causes some kids to do is act up and behave, misbehave because it's, they're craving some attention and the only way they can get attention is to misbehave. That's. Really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So fathers provoke not your children to wrath. Or is it, I turned away from Colossians here. Let me get back to Colossians. Uh, fathers provoke not your children that they be not discouraged. <clears throat>
0: mine says says so that they will not lose heart which is really the same thing we just get very discouraged
1: i think two things contribute to this maybe and there may be other things but one i think some fella's view of manliness uh causes them not to be affectionate or kind to their children and i think sometimes people some parents can have an attitude of well i I don't want to give them too much compliments or something because I don't want to create pride in them. We can, we can instill humility in them in a number of ways, teaching them to apologize, teaching them to admit when they're wrong. And one of the best ways to do that is by demonstrating that ourselves. We'll be plenty of times ourselves. And so we need to admit to our children when we're wrong. We need to apologize to our children when we're wrong. And, Uh, teach them to do acts of service for other people to put other people first. Those types of things can train humility, but complimenting and and supporting and letting a child know it's loved is not what produces pride. Mm -hmm. That's, that's something. Very good. Mm -hmm. Right. Next text. Verse
0: 22
2: knowing that you also have a master in heaven.
1: All right. And then for sake of time, let's move on here and see if we can get to the end of the text. Continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving with all pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I also am in bonds that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Somebody read seven through nine, please.
0: As to all my affairs, Titius, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bond servant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances that and that he may encourage your hearts and with him onesimus our faithful and beloved brother who is one of your number they will inform you about the whole situation here
1: and then somebody read 10 through 17 and we'll make a couple of comments who whoever wants there's more that could be said here but i don't want to leave a whole program next time to these verses Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, salutes you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments. If he come to you, receive him. And Jesus, that is called Justice, who are of the circumcision. These only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God, men that have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, salutes you, always striving for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has much labor for you and for them in Laodicea and for them in Hierapolis, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas salute you. Salute the brethren that are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in their house. And when this epistle has been read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you also read the epistle from Laodicea and say say to Archippus, take heed to your ministry, which... You have received in the Lord that you fulfill it. The salutation of me, Paul, with my own hand. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. All right. Now, we're not going to have time to talk about everything here in chapter four, but in the three minutes remaining, who wants to pick out uh, something to just point out in chapter four?
0: It's interesting that he he briefly, we, we're not going to spend time on it, the master-slave relationship, which was common back then. But he talks about it twice. I think we just read that he refers to himself as a bondservant servant, and one, another individual also as a ser- bond servant to Christ. He makes a yeah. comparison.
1: So, like Jonathan said, everybody it needs to be in submission to somebody, and multiple somebodies with the Lord at the top of, of that pyramid. And I guess we could just say real quickly—we're going to be short of time—but you know, sometimes it's troubling to people that the Bible speaks about slavery without necessarily going on a rant about what's wrong with capturing people and, and violently oppressing them, forcibly causing them to be your slave. Uh, But remember that the Bible is not all about me making sure that everybody else treats me right, nor is the Bible about uh, all of us seeing how we can get society to be right. Right. Uh, The Bible is, is about God reaching each of us individually and bringing us into a relationship with him through Christ, wherein we follow Christ's example, and we do what we ought to do, even when others are not doing what they ought to do toward us. And so Paul is in a a world where there was slavery, and he is talking to people who are in that situation and how they need to conduct themselves. And yes, on both sides of that coin, slaves and masters. Yeah, Uh, and a couple of thoughts on that. Uh, men-stealers is condemned in the New Testament. Right. kidnapping somebody, selling them into slavery, that's condemned. Uh, In the Old Testament, Jews that were uh, bond servants, you see them selling themselves into slavery for a period of seven years. They got some money up front, and then they had to be, you know, a bond servant for for seven years. Uh, It's it's not a situation most of us would want to be in. Poverty was often the thing that forced people into that, less than pleasant situation, but in situations of this, you the masters need, need to treat servants well. And the
0: oh, you're breaking up there, Scott. Want to fill in the blank there, Jeff? Wait home,
1: but there's a time period there where we agree you're going to be the boss and I'm going to be the
0: servant. Sorry, sorry, Jeff uh, Scott. I don't know if you know this, but you were breaking up there. We we got your point though, but you did go frozen for a bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Onesimus oh, mentioned there in verse nine. Where
2: else do we see him in the Bible? Letter to in... Philemon.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: So he was uh, the servant of Philemon, who was sent back to Philemon uh, by Paul.
1: Jonathan, final thoughts from you. You're the one that suggested we do Colossians. How about you wrap us up with any final thoughts you have?
2: Um, Well, I I think it's really interesting. So you think about the servant-master relationship, which was, like we've already said, fairly common um, when Paul was writing this. Um, Not very common now, um, especially in America, but a similar relationship um, that exists in America is the employee-employer relationship. Um, which you could apply almost exactly the things that Paul says here to that type of scenario. And so employers <laughs> for masters in chapter four, verse one, treat your employees well, because you do have a master, um, talking about what we've already talked about and then employees work hard, um, work for your, work for your employer in the correct way. Don't just be, you know, people pleasers. Don't just do it as I service, but work hard, work heartily and that kind of thing. So I think that's important. Um, but I, I really, I really like the letter to the Colossians. I've, I've been describing it recently as, um, it's, it's a letter written by a Christian to a group of Christians that he's never met about how to be a good Christian. <laughs> and when you look at that, I, I really appreciate the things the simplicity that Paul writes in this letter, there's some big things and big topics and hard things to grapple with, but especially chapter three and four, um, it's just kind of a quick guide to like how to live life. And it doesn't answer all the questions and everything like that. But if people really made an effort and everyone really made an effort to live their life, like chapter three and four say, um, there'd be a lot less problems. There'd be a lot better relationships, a lot better families, a lot better work environments. Um, it, It just, all of this works kind of like what Jeff said earlier on. If all of the members of the family operated the way that verse chapter three, verse 18 through 21 says, It's kind of like a well-oiled machine. Um, It's supposed to work that way. And when everyone operates that way, it works. And for those of us, you know, families
1: at home, let's resolve to do better on our end of it. And that can help encourage other other people as well. Mm Thank you, everybody.
0: Well, thank you. Scott, thank you, everyone else. We look forward to seeing everybody next week, Tuesday at 2 p.m. We'll pick up some of the topics. If you have questions or thoughts you want us to discuss, please go to BibleQuest.tv, fill out the form, and say, hey, we'd like to, I'd like to hear about this or talk about that. Let us know what's on your mind. Thank you, everyone.